0: Well, my name, if I have not met you or if I didn't meet you in the little intro there, my name's Tyler, one of the pastors here. Um, And I am so excited to preach this morning, starting our Advent series. I hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. Yes? Good. Um, I was thinking even I was going to be here the week after Thanksgiving. I did this last year. I made some joke about tryptophan. But um, we get to come every Sunday and have a Thanksgiving. Right, We gather together in community, reflect on God's goodness, and give thanks to what he's done. And I pray and hope that's not just Sundays. Right? I pray and hope that this is every day of our lives. We get many thanksgivings. We praise God for what he gives us daily. Because what he has given us, his gift, is not only awesome today, but it will be awesome forevermore. He gives us every day, and every day he will continue to give what he's given. And speaking of gifts, we get to start the celebration of Advent. That's exciting. Um, The arrival of our Savior each Christmas. Advent means arrival, and so we get to remember the gift of the Father-Son. God becoming flesh. The Word of God submitting himself to human form. The creator putting on creation, Emmanuel. This morning we are beginning the series and it's titled All Things New, right? Because when Christ came, he makes all things new. We'll be looking at our past and next week we'll be looking at our future and then we'll be looking at our present in the coming weeks on how we lay that out applicably in our lives living out the now because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus came. Now, I don't know if many of you know of Charles Dickens. If you don't, he was a 19th century author of many works. right? He wrote some great books, one being Great Expectations, A Christmas Carol, just to name a couple, because those are the kind of two he's most known for. And since it's Christmas... Uh, The one I'm going to refer to is A Christmas Carol. Now, if you've never read the book or seen the movie, spoiler alerts are going off. Um, The Muppets are just so funny. No, I'm just kidding. That's my favorite one. But anyways, the movie story, um, it's about an old rich man named Ebenezer Scrooge. He's stingy, hard, grouchy, and all around unpleasant to be around. All he cares about is money. But then he's given a gift. He's visited by three different spirits, the spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas future, and the spirit of Christmas present. These spirits show him what he was, who he is now, as well as those lives that are around him in this current time, and what will happen if he continues living the way he does. Now, Charles Dickens himself was even a proclaimed Christian, right? He was also known for invoking others to do more, to be better, to pay back for the wrongs you've done. And as the movie and book depict, these are heart-stoking ideas. They're good moral goals. But Dickens stops short. Today, we are going to start our little series, by looking at our past in the light of the gospel. So if you're alive, which it's great, you're all alive right here, hopefully, um, you have a past. Now some pasts span more years than others. Um, And if you're a Christian though, the past has a certain connotation. You may think of your past as BC, right before Christ made you alive. I don't remember the exact time I became a Christian, I was a child, so when I think of my past, I think more of a spectrum of maturity, right, my faith at 6, 12, 19, 21, 37, and hopefully more, (laughs) and I believe I've just moved up and down that maturity spectrum, but this morning we are going to stick with this idea of before Christ. For Christians, for us, it's the past life. It's the dying life, the life in darkness, the dead life, because Jesus came into this world to make all things new, and that's including you. So let me pray before we get started and ask this morning that our Father would bless us, that he would steer our affections by the Holy Spirit towards his Son who came for us, Jesus. Father, we praise you and marvel and worship your holy name this morning. Father, what an incredible thing, Lord, that you took notice of us. Lord, you created us to know you, that we would know your glory. Lord, but we can't do what you expect on our own, Lord. We can't do all these things, Lord, and you saw that and you sent your son. Lord, so I pray even as this season begins, Lord, we reflect on the amazing blessing and miracle that it is that you step down into this world. Lord, may we praise you and honor you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you guys want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be in verses 1 through 3. Um, we're going to walk through some amazing things this morning, but we're going to just use this verse as our jumping or starting block. Um, so we're going to get started here in Ephesians. Uh, if you've been at this church any length of time, you know this is a key part of Scripture that we love to recite and memorize. Although I'm going to read. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're going to stop there for now, so don't read the next verse. Just kidding. You guys are looking up here, so hopefully it didn't go up there. So this year, kind of um was an interesting year for sports, right? We had baseball season start late, and thus finishing up deep into American football season. And then now the World Cup has been plopped into the middle of their season, which is in the middle of football season. If you want to watch sports in November, then this was a good year. But something I love about sports uh, is the tension. Right, I don't like watching games that are blowouts. The games are matches where teams are getting backed against the allotted time, and the ones that have me on the edge of my seat. I like it when the odds are stacked against the trailing team. In baseball, it looks like the bottom of the ninth inning. The home team is down three runs, bases are loaded, but there are two outs, and the batter is down in the count, 0 and two. The leading team has just brought in their ace pitcher who is outstanding in these situations. This situation alone is very slim of happening. The probability of winning, very slim. In soccer, or football, (laughs) it's the 85th minute. Your team is down two goals. Trailing team has had two of their starting players carted off the field from injury, and they cannot seem to keep the ball for any length of time, and so the chance of winning is very narrow. In football, this last sports analogy. In football it's the fourth quarter. There's fifty-eight seconds left and the trailing team is on ninety-eight yards away from the end zone. The team is down seven points and the quarterback has just been taken out with a concussion. It's probably Stan Humphreys. Um, so no one got that one. Okay. Some of the fickle fans are already leaving the stadium and hoping to beat the traffic out of the parking lot. This is one of the reasons I love and I enjoy sports. I love these moments. I love these situations. I want to see the underdog overcome unsurmountable odds, insurmountable odds. It's in the impossible moments where something amazing and the greatest potential is for something amazing to happen. Now, these examples are cute when compared with actual dire situations there are weightier matters than a victory of a favorite team. If there isn't, well, I guess we found our first idol this morning. The Bible is littered with circumstances and people who face sickness, disease, defeat, and even death. And also in our own lives, we stand face to face with these enemies. And in these moments, everything else is stripped away. Nothing else matters. What people think, the clothes you're wearing, the car you drive, the job you have, your bank account, none of it matters. None of those things can pull you from the miry clay, the shadow of the valley of death. All right, so I put this little thing here, put on your scuba deer, because we're going to go deep quick, so. Call that a Tylerism, It's not funny. Um... So we see in Romans, in Romans, we're going to see our hearts past or current dire situation. Along with our verse in Ephesians where it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then following up with Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There is no greater situation, no greater despair than that. There have been times in my life where I felt the weight of despair. Though I mentioned earlier that I I believed I was saved at a young age, but I still have walked and do walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I have been deceived by my own heart. I have been deceived by the enemy. I have been hurt by the sin of others. I have been enticed by the idols I manufacture and the ones this world produces. That's a funny thing, but not actually funny. Sad, actually. I don't need to guess what was in your past. I don't need to know what your BC before Christ looked like. The Bible has a pretty clear description and descriptors of how we lived what we did, where we were, and who we were. And the why is the common denominator. We're all sinners. No one is righteous. No, not one. But what if we did a flyover of our past as Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge did? Now, when I thought about this, it was difficult for me to think about the previous inner man of Tyler then it was also difficult not to think about what God has done in my heart and my life, and I praise God for that. But I did some heart research for your sake. It's a little testimony time. I was a worrier, not just any worrier, but I was a warrior in the warrior army. I would worry for others' sake, like if I thought they should be worried, but they weren't. Don't worry, I got that for you, I'll worry for you. I remember in childhood worrying about my future career. I was 10. And on top of my own worry, I worried about what other people thought of me. A lot. I was extremely self-conscious, and although the Lord has done marvelous things in this area, I'm still self-conscious. Going into high school with these feelings was difficult. Now my confidence grew, and I became more and more comfortable in my own skin but like a bubble trapped under a sticker, that self-consciousness has moved into other areas of my life, whether it be relationships, friendships, sports. And now moving into early adulthood, at 18, 19 years old, I was a self-conscious worry, worried that I worried too much and worried that people were picking apart everything I worried about. <laughs> I said worried a bunch. And that's what I did every night trying to go to sleep. As you may imagine, sleep was elusive. I truly believed the statement, it's not you, it's me. So I needed to fix me. I believe there was nothing, I I believe there was something wrong with me. Why did God have to make me like this? I believe that how I felt was never going to change. This is just the way I am. Now, yes, I was a sinner. That's what was wrong. That's what is wrong with me. But I was wrong about God I believed wholeheartedly that God wasn't able to fix me I believed I had messed up too many things I wasn't as important as those people that seemed to have it all together and it was on me to fix me and that left me hopeless time was running out and I had handcuffed God with my mistakes and yet I thought I was so mature at 20 years old these beliefs, though, put me on the extreme side of immature on the maturity scale. <clears throat> now, some of you may be thinking, now, there were other sins, but those were the major ones. But some of you may be thinking, dang, I would never have thought that about Tyler. Or some of you might be thinking, child's play. But let's rewind and go back to a couple things I said. I had mentioned I believe wholeheartedly that God wasn't able to fix me. Time was running out, and I had handcuffed God. I had a heart of unbelief. I thought I was stronger than God. Now, those play out differently in everyone's life, but unbelief leads to all sorts of chaos. For me, it led to absolute foolish idolatry. I tricked God. He can't figure out how to help me. Me, 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 me. Pure idolatry. And the Bible describes many other chaoses as a result of unbelief. Desires of our flesh, and attempt to fix the problems God can't, or what we believe he can't. Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And these are alongside the ones we may know from the Ten Commandments, some of them being, There shall now be no God other before me. Do not murder, do not steal, do not, com- do not commit adultery. Honor your mother and father. Do not bear false witness. Get some more here, hold on. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do not know what the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, Thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I hope we can see that the snare or trap of sin is wide and catches everyone. In Romans 3.20, For the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's an interesting thing to think about um, that at one time you were, or you are currently, walking around hanging out with death. Now, at the time, you may not be thinking that or may have not thought that way, but there are billions of people right now also that do not think that. How can I be dead when I'm alive? But even Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Jesus Jesus also said that if we want to obtain the kingdom of heaven, we must be more righteous than that of a Pharisee. But if Pharisees are just dead man's bones... What hope is there for those who are littered with unrighteousness? So based on Ephesians 2, Romans 3, Romans 6, Matthew 23, 1 Corinthians 6, and many others, the odds of us escaping death are pretty slim. Actually, there are no odds. God the Father is a perfect judge, so lawbreakers will receive their due reward 100% of the time. So we're not underdogs, we're dead dogs. There is no escape apart from Him, apart from His mercy and His grace. With man, saving righteousness, perfect righteousness is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God is not backed into a corner. He's never worried. He never fears of losing control. He is never anxious of the outcome, and it's in our weakness and in our inability to save ourselves, in which the salvation of God becomes truly amazing grace. I thought of an analogy kind of of my own personal walk when it comes to despair, danger, death. Now, I haven't been to the Grand Canyon myself, but it's been in conversation lately since Brian hiked from one side to the other. And so I just imagined myself being there. I imagine standing on the edge, beholding its immensity, its real ability to swallow my life with one wrong step. But then I got pushed. Pushed so hard that I'm falling. But soon after going over the edge, I feel this light pressure against me. It's slowing me down. I'm still going into the depths of the canyon, but it has turned into a controlled descent and I realize it's a net almost invisible but stronger than I would have ever imagined and as I get to the bottom of the canyon I've decelerated and now been propped up onto a rock below standing on firm ground I look up and the net is unseen it was real it surrounded me but looking up to the sky I'm unable to see the comforting force that surrounded me I've been spared. But how? I had no ability in of myself to stop me from sure death. In Psalm 118 it says, I was pushed so hard that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly the right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Our life circumstances do not ever catch God off guard. He's not too worried about getting us getting in too much of a pickle or too much deep into despair that he cannot reach. And as the Psalm 118 mentioned, he's the one that takes us deeper. He brings the storm. And that sounds scary, but remember, our God is in complete control. All of creation submits to his word and and works all things for the good of those who loved him, who love him, just as we were saying this morning. Time is not running out for God he created time time accomplishes the will of god that's amazing your past has accomplished the will of god and the will of god has made your past accomplished i mentioned earlier about how it's kind of difficult to think about the old tyler and again that's i praise god for that but for some of you it may not be that hard To remember your old self. But, church, if you were a Christian, the cross of Christ stands in the foreground of your past. Jesus, the Word made flesh, has made all things new. Now, I want to return to Ephesians and read the rest of that section we began with, as well as some other verses. Ephesians 2, and we're going to go 1 through 7 this time, because there's that good news. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions and desires of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with him, with Christ, and it's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Also that Romans 6.23, the wages of sin are death, or death, has a second part. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you are not a believer this morning, that is a free gift. You cannot earn it. Jesus is offering you salvation. 1 Corinthians 6 has a but. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You and I, we've been crucified with Christ, right? It is no longer you and I who live, but Christ who lives through us. And the life we now live, we live in, in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Right? Colossians, more verses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgive us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There are no works you can accomplish to cancel your own debt. You can't pay back. You can't just do more. Jesus settles the accounts. Jesus fulfilled all that you couldn't. Amen? Now in Genesis, the flood... Everyone, God flooded the earth in Genesis, just in case you didn't know. In Genesis, the flood was God's judgment on the world towards all of its ungodliness and idolatry. And the ocean and sea continued to represent the judgment of God Throughout the Old Testament so when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea right they were spared God's judgment while at the same time he was executing judgment on Egypt and when Joshua led the people through the Jordan crossed the Jordan River on dry ground once that Ark of the Covenant touched the waters they were held back judgment withheld mercy shown And though our sins stand as walls of water around us, Jesus, his blood, the new covenant, have held back God's judgment forever. Your past is dead because it was death in and of itself. You've been made alive, born again by the grace and power of our Lord. And this is the beauty of baptism, right? We go into the water, putting our past life to death, and because we've been made alive by Jesus, we come out of the water, out of death as new creations. It's a physical, outward representation of what God has done inside in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4:6. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, we saw that the light from heaven had shone all around Saul. And Joby provided this context. It was, this light was just like a blinding light, like lightning. It turned everything white. It's not just like a flashlight or just a spotlight that sees but a little. It's an all-consuming light. And what this light touches, it cannot remain how it began. Colossians 1:13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I'm getting a headache. (laughs) Pretty intense. But as we begin to close out this morning, we're going to take a quick trip back to Ezekiel and recount the words given to him by God. So if you want to turn there with me, um, in your Bibles, we'll be reading about 10 verses, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. Give you a moment. This is an awesome, awesome story. If You guys have not read it before. All right, 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me into this, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause the flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I was as I was commanded and I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there was sinews there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, said a man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. By the power of Jesus' blood, your dead bones have been made alive, and you stand in the army of God. The Holy Spirit is your breath, and the Holy Spirit has made you an ambassador of reconciliation to those who are still trapped in darkness. So church, because we have been justified, we can turn our faces to the Father because of the Son. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In Colossians 3, Because if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ God. When Christ is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, you once walked when you were living in them. Um, A couple weeks ago, um, my daughter and I were driving in my truck, and she was explaining uh, to me what it's like to wear the same thing to the same place twice, like, when you go to somewhere you're like oh they saw me in the same shirt last time i can't wear the same shirt again i don't know, normally think about those things too much but she said wearing the same clothes as the last sunday is like the old me is still hanging around and it reminded me of 2 corinthians 5:17 i told her i was going to use this example because i immediately thought of this verse 2 corinthians 5:17 says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Your heart has been exposed to the light, and it doesn't just exist in a small designated spot. No, the darkness is in retreat. Light exposure's side effects are changing the way you think and live. You were enemies of God, children of wrath, walking in darkness, but now we walk in the light, so we live as children of the light. And because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, we can walk in the light. We can stand without shame. We boast in our weaknesses and God's power. When we're ashamed of our past, we doubt Jesus' power. We attempt to de- devalue his cross. Hiding in shame is not walking in freedom. Romans 5.8, our memory verse from last week that we went through. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Everyone has dirt. But guess what? The blood of Jesus has washed it away. From the garden to Golgotha, the wrath of God was satisfied. Romans 12:1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Emmanuel, God with us, has made you dead to sin, and alive to God. Your past is bound by God's will. And may that cause us all to glory in our mighty Savior this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing God. Lord, you canceled our record of debt Our past, our sins stacked up against us, Lord, but you annihilated them. You hold them back. Jesus paid for them. Lord, we stand in freedom. We get to walk now as free. Lord, you have given us such a gift. Salvation is such a blessing. Salvation is nothing we could have earned. Father, you gave it. Lord, we praise you and thank you for what you've done in our hearts throughout our lives. And Lord, whether we're still walking in some of those things, Lord, you are sanctifying us and changing us. Lord, you have forever changed our eternity. Lord, I just praise you and thank you for your goodness, Lord. I pray that these scriptures remind us as we go through the week, as whether we have self-condemning thoughts or judgment even towards our own hearts, Lord, that we would preach these truths to our hearts. Father, would you remind us of who we are and you? And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.